Are we recording? Yes. Okay, cool. <laughs> cool, 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 cool. Well, yes. Yes, we are. Cool, 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 cool. <laughs> hey, guys. Thanks for joining us in... <laughs> what? <laughs> I looked at the clock. Hopefully I didn't throw you off. In the box. That's what I was going to say. Thanks for in joining us in box. the box. Welcome to Living Box Free. Our mission is to help you break out of the box of worldly expectations. We're here to help you find your unique journey to a healthy, fulfilled life. Hey guys, welcome to Living Box Free. We're excited to have you here. We are having a conversation today about a book called Crucial Conversations. It's a great book. I loved it. Becky's doing a drum roll. I'm Ashleen Seitz. I'm Becky Ford. <laughs> Before we start this conversation about this book, let's talk about what we ask every week, which is what's on the rise for you this week. Becky, what's on the rise for you? What is on the rise for me is super exciting. Mm-hmm. Last year, I think it was last year, Alenco decided they would do a 4th of July shutdown. So many people took vacation that week anyway, so we get the week off. What? I'm just going to go to the gym and work out all the time. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. Maybe. Maybe. maybe but yes. So next week is this 4th of July shutdown and it is just perfect timing to take a week. I really actually am hoping to go get a group together, go kayaking or something like that would be fun. Ooh, exciting. Yeah. Ash, what's on the rise for you this week? Well, every year it gets super hot for a long enough time that I start wanting to drink iced tea just all the time, like all day long, just drinking iced tea. So on the rise for me this week is iced tea. And I usually start by buying it, like buying it by the bottle or buying it at Starbucks or something. And then after a couple of weeks, I realized how much that is taking out of my budget and I switched to making it at home. So hopefully soon we'll be making it at home. Good old homemade. <laughs> I always think of McAllister's when I hear iced tea. Oh, yeah. That seems popular here it is. in Indiana. It is. I like their iced tea. It's good. I'm not super picky. Okay. So that's what's on the rise for us today. We are talking about the book Crucial Conversations, which was written in 2002 by Joseph Grenny. Al Switzler and Ron McMillan has a red cover with white letters. If you'd like to go pick it up at your local bookstore, support local businesses once they're open, if they're open. (laughs) (laughs) So this, this book actually, I, I struggle with really intense conversations with conflict resolution. I hate it. I'm a nine on the Enneagram, which Enneagram, which makes me a peacemaker. I do not like conflict. And this book was, I would say, life-changing for me. You suggested it to me, Becky, uh, maybe a year ago, and I loved it. I still struggle. It's still, I'm still working on it, but it really was eye-opening. And it really tells you, it talks about how to not dread these difficult conversations and how to walk into them uh, into conflict with a plan and that kind of thing. So I'm excited to hear you talk about it. (laughs) I hate to be the bearer of bad news. Yes. No matter how long ago you read this book or how many crucial conversations you've tackled, Uh we will probably always struggle with (sighs) them because they're not fun. However, it's getting better at that practice of having them and addressing them. Uh, But before I jump in, I'm just going to preface this. I, so I have not gone through, I'm not an official certified crucial conversations trainer. However, in the last year at Alenco, we started doing these crucial conversations trainings, I remember sitting through my first one, our VP of HR conducted it and my mind was blown. And my (laughs) poor husband, 
I came home, it's 8 PM and he just got done working at the gym. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, do you know why you react this way when we have conversations? And this is what you're probably telling yourself a villain story or a victim story. Yeah. Let's just say I needed to simmer it down a little bit, (laughs) (laughs) but that was my reaction when I first went through this training. And since then I've probably sat through 10 of this exact same crucial conversations training. Yes. Yes. Over the course of a year with Alenco. And it's because we are recognizing there's more and more, the bigger a company gets, and this is in the company world, but the bigger it gets, the harder it is for certain people to feel comfortable to speak up. Mm -hmm. And especially if there's different lines of authority, but this goes far beyond companies. When I sat through the first training, I mean, marriage is a playground for crucial conversations. (laughs) Seriously, like jump on those monkey bars and and tackle that crucial conversation. So when you listen to what we talk about today, it is applicable across the board. Yeah. Anywhere where there's other humans. Absolutely. There could probably be a crucial conversation. Friendships, office relationships, all of the above. Totally. So what is a crucial conversation? Like what define that for me? Beautiful. It's very important to recognize a crucial conversation. It's not just... It's not just a a difficult conversation. We call it a crucial conversation because it has to have three components. So the first one is opposing views. And that's, that's a no brainer, you know, hard conversation. You have a different viewpoint. However, there's two other elements that have to also be, uh, there in order for it to be a crucial conversation. One is emotions are involved Mm -hmm. and the other one is high stakes. So those three components, opposing views, emotions, and high stakes, that is what makes it a crucial conversation. Can you give me an example of high stakes? Yes. So I actually, I'll give, I'll give a couple of examples okay. here. I'll give, I'll, I'm going to rattle off some examples. Perfect. But then I'll give a personal one. Ooh, I'm yes, excited for that a one. peek into Becky's mistakes. Great. <laughs> so some, just some examples, most likely, where maybe you've seen some emotions, high stakes and opposing views. One is potentially ending a relationship with someone else who doesn't agree. Yeah. Breakups, talking to a coworker who behaves offensively. Oof. Yep. High stakes there would be, I could ruin this relationship with the coworker. I have to see every day asking a friend to repay a loan. Money, money in general. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Fortunately, I suck at remembering these things. So I <laughs> people probably owe me money and I have no idea. So they're like, woohoo, Becky oh, forgets. Good. But I that, don't have to pay you back that $500. Yeah, <laughs> probably. I forget. If I don't write it down, I forget. <laughs> but that that is a very uncomfortable conversation. Giving your boss feedback on their behavior. Yeah. High, high stakes. Your supervisor. What how might they treat you? How might they react? Am I going to get fired? Yeah. Critiquing a, a colleague's work, asking a roommate to move out, dealing with a rebellious teen. Mm-hmm. I don't have one of those. Neither does Ash, but I've heard a lot of crucial conversations around teenagers and being a parent and raising children. I'll give, so on that note, children, I'll give an example of a crucial conversation. So first off, crucial conversations, sometimes you don't know you're walking into one. Oh, good point. There are times when you are expecting it and you're, you can prepare, but there are also times when you just step on a landmine and you had no idea it was buried there. Kaboom. Kaboom. For example, my husband and I were expecting our first baby here August 20th, and we have been going on walks during this quarantine. And one of the things that we've had a lot of conversations around is, is having a baby. And 
we were just picking topics and I actually even Googled on my phone, you know, questions first time parents need to ask. And one of them was about childcare. Okay. And I grew up going to an in-home daycare and I loved it, loved it. And my husband went to daycares, but his, his mom was definitely very present in their life. And so I asked this question just like, Oh yeah, childcare, we should, we should start looking at daycares. And that blew up into well, I want to spend as much time with our child as possible. I don't want them to go to a daycare. Mm. And all of a sudden we had severe opposing views. His emotions were involved because he also thought, and and we still need to address this conversation. We haven't figured it out yet, but we did come to a conclusion that we both disagreed and we need to see the other, seek out the other person's, uh, what path they'd like to take. But in his mind, he's like, I want to spend as much time with our baby as possible. I'm going to take him to the gym and he can, you know, he can be in his carrier. I was about to say crate. That's our dog. Oh my gosh. <laughs> he can be, I almost said crate. I'm getting used to this parenting thing. He can oh be in his gosh. carrier <laughs> while I coach and then I can come home and take care of him. And then that transformed into, well, maybe a nanny part-time. Whereas my mind, I'm thinking, man, Tristan coaches at six, five thirty, six thirty AM yeah. when the my office opens back up and I have to be there at seven AM some days. How is that gonna work? Like I a childcare was just what I thought we would do. And as we were talking, it was getting heated, emotions, we both disagreed. High stakes, our child's life is on, you yeah. know, has yes. to be taken care of. And so we actually had to say, okay, we need to hit pause. The intention of that question was not to get us into conflict. Right. However, we've identified a very important conversation we need to have. And that's something we both, we both simmered down and said, okay, we're not going to finish this conversation today, but we both are agreeing. We're going to readdress this conversation and we need to be more open to hear the other person's point of view. So that's, that's a a real, you know, relevant, recent, crucial conversation (laughs) that Tristan and I had. Yeah. So those are some examples when it comes to those three components that make a crucial conversation. Once again, high stakes, opposing views, and emotions. So just to clarify, in that example, are are you saying that the original conversation was a crucial conversation or the next conversation will be a crucial conversation or both? Yes. Okay. Yes. So that was an example of stepping into a crucial conversation when you didn't know it was going to be one. Yeah. And that, and that happens, right? Whether it's friendships with opposing views, whether it's politics or, I mean, we got a lot of stuff going on right now, pandemic riots. That was, that was a conversation that turned into a crucial one. And then as we talk about this model of a crucial conversation and how you navigate them, you'll learn, sadly, it's not usually a one and done. And so in that scenario, we both recognized we needed to hit the brakes and revisit that. And it will be a a crucial conversation that next time. However, as we talk into this model of addressing those, we need to make sure we both feel safe and we're open to hearing that other person's perspective in order to truly make progress on it. Yeah, that makes sense. Thanks for clarifying that. So you were talking about how you reacted in there and he reacted, both of you, in that intense, what became an intense conversation. So is how do we normally react in these situations? I know through emotional intelligence, we, in those episodes, if you go back to those, we talk about emotions and fight or flight, how the brain works. When it comes to crucial conversations, we define how we commonly react in two ways. One is silence and the other one is violence. Let me break those down a little bit because they come out differently. Hmm, Okay. So silence, there's three different types of silence. One is withdrawing. So withdrawing from that conversation. Uh, It could be literally leaving the room and saying, I can't talk, like just leaving. 
The second one is avoiding. And I hate to say this. I'm going to use my dad as an example. Sometimes my dad, if there's an uncomfortable situation, I'd be like, oh, look at the dog. Or... <laughs> Oh, I need to go outside and chop wood. Distraction. Yeah, Yeah. distraction. Or you're avoiding it. You change the subject. The third type of silence is the one I have mastered. And it is masking. Okay. It's not a good thing. I don't get a star for mastering this. (laughs) Uh, But it's masking. And so what you'll notice, and I notice this, I catch myself doing it. A brown star. (laughs) A brown, you. (laughs) (laughs) Who likes the color brown? (laughs) So I get a brown star for mastering. Mastering, yeah. Yes, it's called masking. And what masking means is, humor. You use sarcasm and humor to mask how you feel about that conversation. And so you're not actually addressing it, but you're masking your emotions. And usually eventually it blows up. So those are the three types of forms of silence. Yeah, you definitely do that. I definitely withdraw. So I think I'm a master at that. I also get a brown star. Carry on. Brown stars for everybody. The second, second form is violence. So we have silence. We explain the three types of silence. Then there's violence. There's three types of violence. One is controlling, controlling the conversation. So literally taking over and not letting the other person get a word in. And just if they start to talk, you're talking over them. So that's one, controlling. The second one is labeling. Labeling could be, oh, well, you've never lived in my shoes. You don't get it. And dismissing that person. Okay. It could be labeling oh, you're, you're just being a victim and dismissing. So labeling is a form of saying this, I'm labeling this person and dismissing you because you're not, you don't matter in this situation. And that's, that's violent. That hurts. That's hurtful. The last one's attacking and attacking. This is the, the saddest one. It's actually attacking that other person. So that crucial conversation is no longer about the, the topic, but you then start attacking that other person personally, which is very damaging. So that would be if like in that conversation with you and Tristan of the childcare, if he had kind of dropped the childcare and said, well, you don't care about our kid kind of thing. Yes. It could be, well, well, you don't really care about spending time with our kid. Right. Yeah. You've never really wanted to be a parent that bad. And I care more about this than you. So it'd be attacking you versus taking care of the conversation. Kind of dropping the issue and actually just going after the person. Yes. And, and so often I'm sure you, you've heard this, people say this before, I didn't mean that. So people who might react in that form of attacking afterwards, they're like, oh, dang it. (laughs) I, I said some hurtful things and I need to go back to that person and say, I did, I didn't really mean that. And so if you've ever heard that phrase, that's probably someone who's, who resorts to violence when they respond. Yeah, that makes sense. I have a question for you, Ash. Oh boy. (laughs) Out of these two forms, of how we react normally, silence and violence, which one do you think is more threatening? Oh, threatening. Which one's actually more threatening? Uh, I mean, my instinct would be to say violence, but if you withdraw or you're silent, nobody knows what you're thinking. It can almost almost be worse. Yes. It's, It's easy to think violence because of that word. However, at least in violence, you're willing to share Like you just said, silence can actually be the most threatening and hurtful form of how we respond because you're avoiding the the conversation. You're shut down. Gosh, I don't know if you've ever gotten the silent treatment. I have, (laughs) whether it's from my parents or my husband, and it hurts. Yeah. Especially if it goes on for hours or days. That's Yes, that's yeah, that's interesting that you say that. I don't think I had thought about which one is more painful or which one is less helpful in this situation because I 
I don't come from an, uh, I come from a family of avoiders, a family of silent uh, fighters, I guess. Silent fighters. So attacking seems so out of character or out of the norm for me. I mean, when someone does resort to that kind of violent response, it feels very, very abrasive to me and not okay, Mm -hmm. which is not necessarily true. It's just how someone is reacting. So that is interesting to think about you know, which one is actually more threatening. And I think it's important to call out because sometimes people listen and they think, oh, well, I'm silence. I'm a nicer person. So sometimes people, when they hear violence, they think, well, at least I'm not that. Well, actually, silence can really hurt. Yeah, that's a great point. Yeah. And, And real fast, before I forget, in the book, Crucial Conversations, page 56 has a style under stressed test. So I, you probably listened to us t- describe those different ways and you can probably pinpoint which one you do the most, but if you are wanting to take a test, I took it and silence was my winner. Masking was like brown stars for Becky <laughs> <laughs> for masking your humor. So if you are interested, I, it helped me just the questions that it asked. It helped me understand what does that mean? Okay. So what does masking really mean? So I could go back and look at those questions and be like, oh, okay, those are some examples. And I think I remember it's on the website too. I think it's crucialconversations.com. You can yes. also take the test on there if I, I'm vaguely remembering that. Yeah, we'll put links in our podcast notes. Yes. Okay, so why should we address crucial conversations? Why not just avoid them? Why not just resort to our automatic reaction? Why deal with it? It's easier, well... It feels easier not to. Mm -hmm. When you think about crucial conversations and relationships especially, these are the conversations that keep you up at night. These are the conversations that get you stuck. And literally at at work, when we go, go through this training, we identify where are you feeling stuck? And a lot of times it's a conversation that you either have not had handled well and you haven't gone back to revisit or it's a conversation you're avoiding. Mm, Okay whether that's with a friend, your spouse, a colleague. So as we think about how do I advance, whether it's a relationship or how do I advance in a task, work, for example, if you're stuck, it's probably a crucial conversation you're not having and you won't advance, or at least you won't be, your potential won't be as high as what it would be if you address that conversation. So what do we do? What, how do we fix it? What do we, how do we have these conversations, Becky? Yes. Teach us. Teach us. There is a model in the book that I'm going to just, I'm going to paint the picture with my words. Excellent. Excellent. The first piece that's so important and it talks about in the book is ensuring an environment of safety for both people. For example, that conversation I mentioned with Tristan, we needed to hit pause because I was feeling threatened by his, he probably resorts to controlling the conversation more. And I probably resort more to besides masking, being quiet. And so I recognized in that situation, we both, we need to hit pause because I didn't feel safe to share more of my opinion in that moment because I didn't think it would take us anywhere. So that's, that's the very first step. And in this book, there's a circle that you'll see, and I'm describing this circle. And so the outside of that circle is gray and it says safety. And so you have to have a ring of safety And once you are in a situation where both parties feel safe, which sometimes, like I said, you have to, it's not a bad thing to schedule a crucial conversation. Yeah. Both people know what's coming. It's very important to make sure that other person, you don't want to just spring it on them. Yeah. So both people know it's coming schedule. We're going to have this conversation and make sure both people feel safe. The next piece, when there is safety there, the inner part of that circle 
in Crucial Conversations, this model, it's blue, and it's called the Shared Pool of Meaning. It sounds so nice because it it's does. super hot outside. Yes, pool. <laughs> it's a pool. How sh- lovely. Yes, a shared pool of meaning. And the ultimate goal is that you and that other person can be safe and in this pool where you both are sharing and understanding where that other person's coming from. And that is where we get to the most important part of a crucial conversation, and it's healthy dialogue. Okay. Very important. It's not a monologue. (laughs) It is a dialogue. So both parties have to come feeling open to to have a conversation. So that's, that's the center of the circle. As we look at the outside of that circle, there is what we call how you master your story. So how do we get to a safe zone, and how do we get to that shared pool of meaning? And what this looks like is understanding, and I'm going to say this slowly, what we see in here does not necessarily cause our emotions. Okay. What we see in here causes us to tell ourselves a story. Mm. And the story we tell ourselves causes and triggers our emotions, which then triggers our actions. So the key in this model to get to safety in that shared pool of meaning is recognizing what I see and hear. For example, you shared, you shared, uh, Tristan, Tristan might have thought, oh, she doesn't care about spending time with our child. That is a story he told himself. That's not necessarily true. And we're just make I'm using this as an example. Yes. So what you see in here causes you to tell yourself a story, which then triggers your emotions and how you act. I'm going to give another example. And this one, this one is like, it took place this week. I got a text message. I'm not going to read it exactly word for word, but I got a text message from someone who means a lot for me. And the text message was basically disagreeing. I met with a group of friends to go work out on Memorial Day outside, and things are just starting to open up. And we are in this pandemic world of a lot of varying opinions. Yeah. And I got a text message, and it was pretty to the point, hey, I am very concerned with the fact that you're meeting with other people and working out, data shows, da 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 It was very type A. I am very... <laughs> I am very feeling, you know, give me, give me some flowers before you throw some hard feedback (laughs) on me. And, and it was a text message. It was on a Monday. It was this last Monday during the workday. And I felt attacked and I told myself a story. This person is unrightly attacking me because I worked out outside with friends when there are people rioting in groups of a thousand downtown and I was outside and it was a choice I made and it's okay now because things have reopened and I felt attacked. And that was a story I told myself was this person is, I almost felt like they're being malicious towards me. Now my emotions were high in general that week because of work and just all the opinions as we have been reopening our gym. So my emotions were already high, which didn't help. Right. Um, And obviously high stakes when it comes to how that person viewed me and our relationship. So that, that once again, it caused, it caused my, so caused me to react in a way of almost with that person, not masking, but being a little bit more, uh, violent violence in my response because I got on the defense. Yeah. I can even think of, I mean, there are very simple ways that I tell myself stories. I have a a newer friend that I still feel a little insecure of like, I don't know, does she like me? But which is hilarious, but I recently sent her a text message and she didn't respond. And my immediate story that I tell myself is, oh, she doesn't actually like me. 
what? Like what the, she's probably busy, you know, like that doesn't make any sense. Calm down. But yeah, so I can totally understand that telling yourself a story immediately. And that's where your emotions come from. I love that we've mentioned texting because when we say crucial conversations, most of us probably thought face-to-face conversation. Right. And that is, that's a lot, right? Friendship, spouse, work. However, in the world we live in, a crucial conversation can get sparked via text. It could even be a social media message where there's, there's some emotions involved, high stakes, opposing views. So it doesn't, I think text message probably is one of the most popular places where crucial conversations start today because we don't know what the other person's doing. We don't know how busy they are. We don't know what tone they meant. So, so there's so many aspects where we can create a false story because of that. So, so the whole point here is we know what we see in here, it causes us to tell ourselves a story. And oftentimes we think sadly, worst case scenario, they don't like me. They're attacking me. They, they don't think I'm good enough. And then that causes us, sparks our emotions and how we act. What we need to do in this model of crucial conversations is separate the facts from stories. And, and I know we'll talk a little bit more about specific stories okay. that we often tell ourselves, but it's how, what are the facts of this situation? And then what is, am I telling myself a false story? And if so, I need to identify that. And I need to recognize it is not truth until I prove it. It is truth if it is. Right. So separating the facts from the stories. So you said there are specific types of stories. Yes. We, there's, I know we've mentioned a couple examples. We're going to categorize three very specific types of stories that are very common. The first one is the victim story. The victim story sounds like this. It's not my fault. That is what that sounds like. These stories make us out to be innocent sufferers. I am innocent in this situation. So that's one story. You might be telling yourself that story. You might feel like you are an innocent sufferer, or you might be thinking that the other person is, pl- is playing a victim. Oh, they're just, they're just be playing the victim card. So maybe it's a story you're telling yourself about the other person too. Okay, so it goes yeah. both ways. The second story is the villain story. I have seen this happen quite a bit in the workplace, especially the more that maybe there's more layers in the organization and you might be like, oh, they don't care about our voice. They yeah. just care about making lots of money and climbing the corporate ladder. They're, they're a villain. So it's, it's all their fault. We don't succeed because this is all they care about. So villain stories, it's all their fault. Um, these are tales that emphasize the nasty qualities of that other person. And once again, I I feel like where I've seen that a lot has been in that workplace where there's multiple layers and they're making up stories about maybe someone in leadership that they truly haven't had a great conversation with or quality dialogue, but they're, they're telling themselves that their things are going wrong and it's their fault. There's blame when it comes to that villain story. Feel free. If you've got any examples, any villains in your life. Oh, I have so many. (laughs) (laughs) I'm a victim. I'm an innocent sufferer. (laughs) No, I think that makes total sense. And I can, yeah, I can come up with a whole bunch of examples, but I think really what I just want to know is how do I deal with those stories? Yeah. Yeah. There's one more I'm going to mention, and then we'll talk about how we deal with them. The helpless story. This is, this story sounds like this. There's nothing else I can do. There's nothing else I can do. This is when people sit back and they're like, I'm helpless versus owning the situation. 
So th- those are three stories we tell ourselves, victim, villain, and helpless. A lot of times I see this probably more in work situations where people say, oh, they're, they're, they refuse to take ownership. Yeah. And they say, there's nothing I can do. That's not in my job jar. I definitely tend more toward the villain stories than anything else. Mm-hmm. Or the villain or victim rather than the helpless yeah. side of things. And I would say those are probably the top, probably the most common, especially when emotions are involved. We usually feel like we are the victim or they are a villain. That is pretty, pretty common. Yeah. For each of these stories, we have a tactic for what you can do. And we've already mentioned high level, always when it comes to that model of what you see in here, the stories we tell ourselves separate facts from stories. So that's step one. But step two is we identify and think about our crucial conversation, asking ourselves a few questions. Around that victim story, the key thing is turning yourself from a victim into an actor. So as you look at the situation, it's almost like you're, you're in the balcony looking down at a play taking place. And you are an actor in this story. Assess your role and ask yourself, here's the question, am I pretending not to notice my role in the problem? The second area we'll talk about the villain story is turning your villains into humans. So a lot of times when we think this person is a horrible, nasty person, just think of them as a human. And here's the question to ask yourself. Why would a reasonable, rational, and decent person do this? Hmm. I'm going to say that one more time. Once again, you're turning this villain into a human and you're assuming you're saying, why would a reasonable, rational, and decent person do this? You're assuming that they are just a decent, rational human. Yeah. Asking yourself that question, reflecting on it. And oftentimes we might see things a little bit differently and maybe it's a personality thing. So it's basically putting yourself in their shoes and assuming that they would think they're thinking differently than you because everybody's different, but they're not crazy or they're not out to get you. Yeah. Trying to put yourself in their shoes and figure out why they would do it. Yes. Got it. Gosh, back to empathy. I feel like Mm -hmm. we always feel like empathy is a common theme that comes up. (laughs) The final one here is that helpless story, turning yourself from helpless into able. So committing to corrective action and asking yourself, what should I do right now to move toward what I really want? So this goes back to versus being passive or submissive and saying, there's nothing I can do. Well, okay, maybe there's nothing you can do to get the perfect answer that you want or resolution you want, but what can you, what can you do to get one step closer to that? Yeah. So it might not be if it's, I think sometimes with helpless people think if it's not this outcome, then there's nothing I can do. Yeah. Well, how do we move closer to that outcome? What step can you take? So that's the question to ask yourself around that helpless story. Yeah, that's great. So I've, like I said at the beginning, I've read the book I've taken some of these things and been working on them, but I still feel like it's just, it's just rough sometimes. So how do I implement mm-hmm. this? What, how do I go out of this conversation here and continue working on it? Yes. I, I would encourage, I do think seeing the visual model, I'm a visual learner. Yeah. And so I do like seeing that visual model and there's actually a YouTube, uh, a YouTube uh, ch- clip that I would love to share in our podcast notes that gives some more examples of these stories by one of the authors. So we'll put that in our podcast notes. But what can you tangibly do as you go from here? I think first off is recognizing we need to have these conversations. 
they will not feel good. They will be a struggle, but <laughs> we need to have comfortable. It's not going to be comfortable. And quite often, sometimes, like I said before, you might step in this conversation and not know it was going to be a crucial conversation. So, so be willing to have them and also understand how do you recognize when it is a crucial conversation and that safety is very important for both parties to have a healthy dialogue, which is where we need to get to that shared pool of meaning. The second piece here is practice. And I know that you're like, man, that takes time, (laughs) but practice it's actually, it is very helpful. And I, if you really care about that situation to actually jot down some of these notes, as we mentioned, these reflection questions for each of those stories capture down. Okay. Why would a reasonable, rational person react this way? jot down some notes, but then also think through how do I, how do I enter into this conversation? So, so writing it out, preparing, but also one of the things that I've done is especially at work, I have some peer coaches. So they're peers of mine and they're people who I can go to that aren't on my team. They're not biased. And I can actually go and run through a situation with them and practice a conversation and we will actually role play. Yeah. And that role play as an comfortable and awkward and funny as it can be, there's almost always something that other person, when they're playing the the other character in my scenario, there's almost something they ask that catches me off guard. Mm -hmm. And by going through that role play, play and practice, it enables me to be even more prepared for what that other person might be thinking or might ask. And for me to be more prepared to react in a safe, rational way. Yeah. I love that you say that I'm an internal processor for sure. I don't, I don't just don't think well in the moment, especially when I'm feeling emotional. I just can't really process things and it's really hard for me to spit them out, especially. And so I love to prepare for these conversations if I can and write things down and then, but I don't think I often run them by people. Um, or, and I, I don't know that I've ever done role play. So that's a great suggestion. Awkward. (laughs) <laughs> seems like it might be awkward at first, but I would assume you'd get used to it. You you do. And I think I've, I'm pretty comfortable with it because we do a lot of role play with sales reps as if they're sell, selling something to a customer. And just as we do that, role play works so well for these situations. However, I highly encourage you to choose someone who's not involved with that person. Oh, definitely. So yeah. unbiased, objective person. And that that's where you're going to get the most goldmine of helpful feedback and questions that they might ask that you weren't even anticipating. Yes. And the last piece here that I want to mention around what can we tangibly do? One, and I know Ash and I talked about this a little bit too offline. When we have crucial conversations, there might be someone that you really struggle to, to work with and you're forced to work with, and that's just how it's going to be. It's recognizing we need to prioritize what, subject we need to focus on or what crucial conversation we need to have. And I know we mentioned earlier, crucial conversations, they are not usually a one and done. Wah, wah. <laughs> no, sadly, it's, it's usually a multiple conversations and follow up. It might be two, but it might be more than that. And so when you have someone who potentially you have multiple things or issues, it's looking at that list and saying, what issue do we need to focus on that is the most important and the most harmful or urgent for this relationship. Yeah. A crucial conversation. You should not take in a a list of 10 things (laughs) of all these issues you're having because you will not advance. Yeah. So focusing one at a time and prioritizing. And if you would like a, an analogy here as a CrossFit coach, 
it goes back to when you're teaching movement. If there's someone doing an air squat and they are doing multiple things wrong, as a coach, a good coach will look at that person and say, what is the most important flaw I need to fix for this person's safety? Hmm. And potentially that one flaw, if I have them focus on tracking their knees out versus in, that might even fix their torso position or other flaws that we see in that movement. Yeah. So for my fitness nerds, there's an analogy for you. (laughs) A great coach, they should focus on one flaw at a time with a person, and that might fix other things. And also think, where do we do it? We need a neutral space. Oh, yeah. If you have a crucial conversation with your boss and it's in their office with the door closed, that might feel more threatening and less safe than going out to a coffee shop. Interesting. Yeah, that's a good point. As you schedule those crucial conversations or prepare for them, also think where is a good, safe, neutral location where we can make some good progress with this conversation? Yeah. Again, so many (laughs) things to think about. Man, I yeah, I love that you kind of brought it down to three places to focus on because I do, even when I read the book, I got overwhelmed. And just being able to think about, okay, I need to practice this. I would love to find some people that are willing to role play with me. I think my friends will do that. Trying to make Raising sure. Raising my hand. <laughs> making sure I'm okay with it. Not, you know, not being resolved in one conversation. And then trying to pick one place to start. That's really, those are helpful takeaways. Well, we spent some time talking about conversations and why our emotions get in the way. And I think the storytelling is a big thing. I'm going to have to spend some time thinking about that. So if you enjoyed this, or if you enjoyed kind of this glimpse in, pick up the book. It's really good. Or go to the website. There is a lot of information. I remember a lot of information on there. Thanks for joining us and talking about Crucial Conversations. I hope you will join us next time. Woohoo! Thanks for joining us on Living Box Free, put on by On The Rise Group. Follow or subscribe to Living Box Free on Spotify, Stitcher, SoundCloud, iTunes, or Google Play to hear our new episodes every Monday as well as our bonus episodes. You can learn more about our services at ontherisegroup.com. Also follow us on Instagram and Facebook at ontherisegroup. We hope you'll tune in next time for more helpful content. 